It's the 4th of July, and we find ourselves in Washington, D.C., where two men are driving down a crowded road. A classic rock song is playing on the radio, and the two men are busy arguing about its merits. The younger of the two, well, he doesn't care for it. He labels it old rock, and just because it's old, doesn't make it classic. What sucked back then, he says, still sucks now. In response, the older of the two reaches for the volume knob and cranks it up. The younger man is totally unimpressed. The traffic remains bad, and the car continues crawling. Eventually, they land at an intersection where they find themselves stuck at a red light. Their bickering continues until the light turns green, and just as they start to make their way through the intersection, a taxi cab smashes right into the side of them. The men are shocked, but they can't quite place where the taxi came from. It was their light, after all, that was green, not the oncoming traffics, but a closer look shows us that, in fact, all the lights were green in every single direction, all at the same time, creating horn-honking, car-smashing, and chaos. It's a scenario that at this very same time is getting repeated at busy intersections all across America. The traffic control systems, the systems that control the traffic lights in some of the biggest cities in the U.S. have been hacked. And on the streets affected by them, total carnage. That scene was from the 2007 movie Live Free or Die Hard, which was the fourth installment of the Die Hard franchise, in which John McClane, played once again by Mr. Bruce Willis, finds himself stuck in a sticky situation and, once again, needing to save the world. Only this time, the bad guys, they're all hackers. Looking at the Rotten Tomatoes page for this movie, the critical consensus is Live Free or Die Hard may be preposterous, but it's an efficient, action-packed summer popcorn flick, which sort of sums up my feelings about the movie, especially the preposterous part. Hacking into the control systems and turning all the traffic lights green all across the country and all at the same time does seem preposterous. And by firmly holding on to the belief that something like that could never happen, well, that helps me sleep way better at night. Only deep down, when I really think about it, I'm not sure how far-fetched something like that actually is. And sadly, some of the research I've been doing in preparation for this kind of backs that thinking up. In 2010, hackers launched an attack against Iran's nuclear program. And how did the hackers find their way into one of the scariest nuclear programs on the planet? They did it through an infected memory stick, containing a virus so malicious that it almost wiped out the entire thing. And in 2015... Hackers managed to get inside several Ukrainian power control centers, and by remotely taking over the computers of some of the workers, they were able to shut down the stations, leaving more than 230,000 residents in the dark. So, in theory, anyway, it seems like something like the hacker dystopia that runs rampant in Die Hard 4 might actually be possible. And it looks like the common denominator between the traffic lights that get hacked in Die Hard and the power control centers and nuclear facilities that got hacked in real life is something called SCADA, which stands for Supervisory Control and Data Acquisition. And if you're like me, the moment someone starts using acronyms like SCADA to explain stuff, my brain just kind of glazes over. But please stick with me on this because I think it's actually incredibly important. So important, in fact, that 
if my hunch is right, this SCADA system, the system that helps run almost everything we take for granted in our modern world, might actually leave us vulnerable on a scale we can't even imagine. For me, it feels like a bit of a wake-up call. Welcome to Hackable, an original podcast from McAfee. This computer is on the job around the clock in case of attack. Their principal target is you. The design is complete, but will it work? Shake hands with danger. I'm Jeff Siskin, and I'm here, as always, with Bruce Snell, cybersecurity expert. Hello, Bruce. Hello, Jeff. Good to see you. Uh, Thank you. Before we get into the meat of this episode, Mm -hmm. we have to talk a little bit about Die Hard 4, Live Free, Uh, and Die Hard. Have you seen uh, Die Hard 4? Of course. Of course. Excellent. You know, I had somehow missed it. I didn't realize John McClane could defeat hackers as well. You know, actually, I really enjoyed this one. So I want to talk about the, the premise of Die Hard 4. These hackers, in however they're doing it, are are shutting down major systems, the transportation Uh grid, the stock market, the power grid. They're basically shutting down the things that make us run as cities. Right. Given that Hollywood has had a horrible track record with uh, Mm -hmm. with hacking and hackers, for the most part, there are some very notable exceptions. Is this another Hollywood fantasy or is this actually based on anything? Well, you know, it's one of those things where it's it's based, I think it's based in, in actual truth. The targets are accessible. Okay. And these things are potentially doable and, and hackable. But it's obviously it's not as easy and as it's as it's made out to look in the in the movies, right? Where it takes two minutes to to crack into a power grid. But there's there's a, a disturbingly large amount of systems that are available and, and that you can access online that are controlling power grids, they're controlling dams or you know, all sorts of critical infrastructure. It's it's pretty scary, actually. So I'm going to sound like even more of an idiot as I try and figure this out. But is is it like they're online because they are they have a server or something, or they're not? They're not like yeah. smart. There's not like IoT where you can control the power grid of the city from your cell phone. Like it's not well, that goofy, is it? I'll, I'll try to really condense this because it, it's, it's, it's a really <laughs> complex issue. But okay, I mean, basically, you've got these old systems that have been kind of retrofitted to be controlled by computers. Right. Okay. So you take like a you take you take a power grid, right? It's yeah. it's something that's existed for you know decades. Uh, it's not that like you can go down to a big box store and buy a new one, right? So <laughs> yes, yes. All right. So they try and they try and update them. But the problem was this was done, you know, probably uh, you know a few years ago, at least a, you know five ten years ago. So a lot of these old systems are running old versions of Windows, oh. right? You've got you know you may have a power grid that has a control system that is running Windows XP. And and because of the nature of the system, you know, it's it's on an old operating system that can't necessarily be updated. And, you know, a lot of times they're left open to be able to connect to them remotely, you know, so that you can remotely log into some power grid or some power station out in the middle of nowhere instead of having to drive out and go to it. But unfortunately, in doing this, they've kind of opened up a back back door for bad guys like, you know, Justin Hall in, in Die Hard 4 to, to crack into. Oh, that's interesting. See, part part of me, as, as I go through the show, you know, I see these movies, uh, I read these things, and I want it to not be true. 
Right. I, want, I want it to. I want it to be like, oh, you know, that's just my mind kind of uh, getting getting a hold of me and, and running away. And then as I talk to you and and you know, I do my googling, uh-huh. uh, which I realize, you know, a little bit of googling with not a lot of knowledge can be super dangerous. That's what my, <laughs> that's what my doctor keeps telling me. You know, and and something like this, which which I get freaked out and don't even understand. Uh-huh. It's almost, I almost just have to forget about it as a coping mechanism. <laughs> right. <laughs> which which feels right. like maybe not the best. So as part of getting my brain around this, because it's still like, even hearing you explain it, it still feels so abstract. Normally my mind would just kind of glaze over something like this. Uh-huh. And the reason we're doing it on the show is that it feels, it feels important and I'm trying so desperately to stay with it and understand it. And sure. hopefully our listeners will do the same because <laughs> I, I, I think it'll be worth it. I wanted to bring the story of something unbelievably concrete. So our story producer, Pedro Mendez, uh, went out and he found the story of the Bowman Avenue Dam in Rybrook, New mm-hmm. York. Have you yep. read this story? I, I a, have. A, a, a tiny dam, according to the mayor, totally insignificant, <laughs> because how he phrased this dam, that got infiltrated by Iranian hackers who uh, came close to doing some really, really bad stuff. I'm at the site of one of the most recent attacks on U.S. infrastructure by alleged state-sponsored hackers. It's a small village. It's about 25 miles north of New York. And this is where, in 2013, federal agents from Homeland Security drove up in a dozen black SUVs to cordon off and secure the Bowman Avenue Dam. No, no, it wasn't as uh, dramatic or exciting as that. <laughs> it was, again, I can't get into the to the full details, but... I was advised by our village administrator that there was a cyber incident at the dam and that the dam software would be taken offline. That's Paul Rosenberg. He's the mayor of Rybrook, the village where the dam is located. And what Homeland Security told him was that Iranian hackers working for that government had been able to hack into the software that controls this dam, that controls the sluice gate, the thing that lets the water out. So I'm thinking that even if the whole area wasn't crawling with federal agents, it's still a massive piece of infrastructure that was hacked. So the Bowman Avenue Dam, when people think of it, they think of this very large dam. People tend to think, you know, you'll think of something that you would see out west in Nevada. But 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 in actuality, the Bowman Avenue Dam, it's it's really not very large at all. Okay, yeah, it's... Not the Hoover Dam, not at all. It's maybe 20 feet wide, maybe that high at the tallest point. And the sluice gate, yeah, it's only a few feet wide. It's, to be honest, it's kind of underwhelming. This is a small dam that's holding back a brook. It would need to be a tremendous, tremendous, tremendous rainfall hurricane-like rain for somebody to really do damage by opening up the sluice gate. Would it flood some homes? Yeah, it would flood some residential homes in the city of Rye, but you're not going to cause any monumental damage. What I'm wondering, though, is why is such a small dam even connected to the internet? The original design for the dam and the sluice gate was that it would be controlled remotely. And there's software and a computer hooked up to the, to the sluice gate, which would allow a remote operator, such as the city of Rye, to control from their own village hall or from even from someone's home. They didn't have to go into village hall in the, in the middle of the night. They could control it remotely. But here's the thing. 
when the Iranian hackers got into this thing, the computer wasn't actually hooked up to the sluice gate. The, the village was doing maintenance on it, so it was offline. It certainly didn't seem to, to, to me at least, when this happened, that this was something that would uh, warrant the attention of a, of a state sponsor of terrorism. Okay, so in this instance, even though hackers were able to get into this system, they thankfully weren't able to cause any damage. But still, how must it have felt to be the target of this attack? I felt violated. <laughs> you know, it, it's, I, I, at first I couldn't believe it, that, that actually somebody would spend time and money to try and hack and control the Bowman Avenue Dam. I mean, listen, I was in Manhattan on 9-11. I saw a plane, the second plane hit the, uh, the second tower. Uh, I, I didn't think of it that way. I just, in this day and age of, of state-sponsored hacking, um, you know, I said to myself, oh, you know, it's, why on earth would they, would somebody do this? Um, I didn't really equate it to terrorism per se, but I, I did feel violated. So that was Pedro Mendez talking with the mayor of Rybrook, New York, about the Bowman Avenue Dam and uh, what could have been really, really bad. And and I think one of the things I was reading about this was that they were probably going after the wrong dam. Is that is that right? Yeah, that's the prevailing theory is that it was, you know, they were thinking it was a different dam and they, they choose the, the wrong dam target. Oh, my God. That's amazing. That's amazing. Does that is that like is that is that unique in the world of, of hacking? Well, that kind of you know, screw up? It's interesting because there was uh, there were a number of attacks uh, by anonymous in Japan a few years ago when when I was living there, where they actually were were attacking it to protest a you know a decision that the government had made, but due to mistranslation in the kanji, uh, they were actually attacking these really non important small little like prefecture, uh, you know, basically library websites. Oh my God. Right. And not the ones they actually thought they were, they were attacking. So it's, it's not uncommon. That's amazing. Well, I'm glad there's a precedence for, for ignorance. So this episode is a little bit different. On most episodes, we deal with consumer products and through hacking into them, we see whether well, they're vulnerable. When this came to, to our attention, or certainly to, to my attention, is, is clearly not news to you, it felt like something we needed to talk about, or at least something I needed to find out more about. So in a moment, I'm going to be chatting with Steve Plavoni, who is head of advanced threat research at McAfee. And he's agreed to, uh, well, probably scare the pants off me uh, about this. <laughs> and then through some sort of fancy search, show me where the vulnerable systems are near me right now. What what could go wrong in my immediate vicinity? Uh, and what are the very, very specific things that I should not sleep tonight uh, thinking about? So I'm excited about that. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> so I'm here with Steve Pavolny. I keep asking people this question. Have you seen Die Hard 4? I have seen many of the Die Hards. I think they're up to like 30 now, but I have not seen Die Hard 4. Okay, so Die Hard 4 has become my recent obsession. I will slightly spoil it for you without telling you how it ends. Where basically this time, John McClane is fighting hackers who are shutting down the systems of a city. Of which when I first saw it, I thought, well, that seems a little bit far-fetched. And then I was talking to people. I talked with Bruce Snell, who's the co-host of the show, our, our cybersecurity expert, who told me that it may not 
actually be as far-fetched as I would like. I would feel comfortable believing. If this is true, this is bonkers, and this is by far the biggest threat out there because it affects everything we do in a city. Am I bonkers for even entertaining these thoughts? Uh, No, not at all, uh, (laughs) unfortunately. (laughs) I would say that there is some dramatization going on in the movies. And, you know, I'm sure you're not surprised to hear that in the... uh, in the Die Hard series as well. So they, they all kind of end the same way. So no spoilers there. But um, <laughs> but having the uh, the infrastructure and city type of hacks um, are, are not out of the realm of possibility by any means. The the level and scale and, and Hollywood uh, grandeur that's applied to it might be the only unrealistic part, but definitely a threat to us. Okay, so, so if I hear you say they're in the realm of the possible... Even that calms me down a little bit because it feels like it's it's possible, but not very probable. Well, I have to burst your bubble there. Um, the, these attacks have already been demonstrated uh, really? across the board in almost every single sector you can imagine. To a simpleton like me, can you explain what is the makeup of, of a system for your power grid or a nuclear power plant or water systems? Sure. So these are called typically called SCADA, which is an acronym that stands for Supervisory Control and Data Acquisition, I believe it is. And uh, it's, a, it's probably the reason most people haven't heard of SCADA or many people haven't is because it's such a complicated and annoying acronym that everyone forgets halfway through what it means. But Fundamentally, a SCADA or industrial control system, often referenced the same way, is an architecture or a system that's used to manage devices. And that's as kind of as simple as you can put that concept. But these are the exact type of systems that we're talking about today that manage uh, any and every kind of our national and citywide corporate private infrastructure uh, that we have and that we use on a daily basis. So just everything is the answer. <laughs> All of these things have increasingly become part of, of the Internet of Things, which, of course, is just another way of saying, uh, you know, come full circle that these are connected often and that makes them even more vulnerable. In doing research for this episode, I came across the term SCADA. And I think you're right. Halfway through reading what the definition was, my eyes glazed over and I just stopped paying attention. I think, you know, I can get my head around you can hack a smart doorbell. Like I can get my head around something like that because it feels very simple, but this feels so much more important. It does. And it, it also, to me, feels like not to go too dramatic, but a little bit of impending doom. And I know that is dramatic, but but really we've seen attacks on these type of systems worldwide. And if you can find a vulnerability or exploit these systems, potentially someone outside could take a troll and do the same type of operations you have. But instead of changing the uh, the temperature of the oil by one degree, you know, add a thousand degrees to it and, and you know, essentially melt down the plant or the pipeline. Uh, these are the type of attacks that are so, so dangerous and, and truly not that difficult. Uh, in reality, you would think that these type of systems would be the most secure, but fundamentally security has been a little bit lost within SCADA type of environments. In a few minutes, I know we're going to do a, a short demo where you're going to show me, you know, physically based on where I'm I'm sitting recording this, what kind of vulnerable SCADA systems are around me. But before I do that, partially because I don't know that I want to know, <laughs> uh, so I'm going to delay knowing that for as long as possible. I want to talk about specific stories of SCADA gone wrong. Are, are, are there sort of examples you can draw on? 
there's many examples and uh, surprisingly there's not quite as many as I think there could be but if we go back as far as uh, I think 2009 was the time frame many people even not in the industry have heard of the very famous malware called Stuxnet which was a US targeting uh, Iranian nuclear facilities uh, since then we've seen many examples similar whether they're attributed to nation states or uh, more of a script kitty kind of thing we saw the Ukrainian power and electrical grid targeted in 2015 2016 was actually rife with SCADA type of attacks the San Francisco light rail ticketing system was hit by a piece of ransomware. Uh, they ended up not paying the ransom and took the systems uh, offline and gave free rides to everyone. So uh, that kind of downplayed the severity, but it, it could have been much worse. So imagine if instead of the ticketing system, the actual control system, also SCADA managed, uh, for the train had been ransomed. And, and maybe if you go back to like the speed scenario with Keanu Reeves, gradually increasing that speed, you know, every minute or something until the train derailed. Uh, if you don't pay a ransom, that's an absolutely viable wow. attack methodology that could have been uh, that we could have seen there. I'm, I'm actually speechless a little bit. I think I think <laughs> your so, question so, is <laughs> why hasn't the world ended yet, right? Well, why hasn't the world ended? And I know this is not the first conversation you're having about SCADA, but it's the first conversation <laughs> I'm having about SCADA. These are mm -hmm. not the things that stick in my mind. And they really should. Absolutely. And I think one of the biggest reasons that, you know, people have maybe heard of SCADA, but don't necessarily always view it as a threat to them or their livelihoods is a lot of the times these industries that uh, don't process consumer financials or any other kind of, you know, personally identifiable information which means that they're not often legally required to report breaches. And it gives people a false sense of security. So you can imagine the number of attacks that go unreported and uh, and probably would have been catching your attention. And is there something with these SCADA systems? Is the, Are they, uh, I'll seem very naive even saying this, but is there something, are they easy to breach? They can be, yeah. They can be shockingly easy. So just to sum up where we're at, most of the infrastructure that we take for granted living in a city is run through these SCADA networks. These SCADA networks are vulnerable. Absolutely now, not a stretch. So I know that that somehow using your super hacker powers for good, you have the ability to show me where there are these scary SCADA infrastructure hackable things physically near me that hopefully won't, but could be vulnerable to bad guys. How do we do that? Well, we're not going to launch a nuke today, so don't don't get too excited. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, but what we can do is we can use systems that are out there already to to monitor the internet for SCADA systems and devices and software that are actually connected to the internet. So we'll look at some of those using a very well known tool called Shodan, which okay. allows us to map the internet space for a uh, number of different types of uh, devices. And essentially what we're doing is we're trying to send a signal to them and see if they respond. And if they do, we know that they're internet accessible. So what we're going to do today is we're going to log on to Shodan.io. And so that's, uh, that's just a website that... Yes. Is it? Is it sort of... I've, I think I've sort of heard of this. Is it sort of just like Google for 
internet-connected things? Yes, I, I would say that's a very fair representation. It's a search engine that allows us to view the state of both, you know, either vulnerable or map devices uh, worldwide very, very quickly. So we'll literally just do a Google-like search for devices that we could instantly hack if we wanted to because they're remotely accessible. Right now, I'm traveling and, and I'm, I'm in a hotel room near Times Square in New York City which in terms of a city that has lots of infrastructure and systems that are running, can we can we do a search here and find out is there anything near me that I should be worried about? Certainly. So we'll take uh, we'll take a search and we'll see what comes back in uh, in the U.S. and even in New York City. We can look a little bit closer. So if you just go ahead and search in Shodan, you type port colon five zero two. So what you're seeing here is we've searched port 502, which is a very well-known protocol tied to SCADA infrastructure. And we can see almost 19,000 results globally distributed uh, across the US, France, Spain, Italy, Germany being the top five offenders. We have lots of uh, ISP and telecom, of course, as the top organizations. So we, we can look through a number of these and we could certainly drill down to the US and and find you some New York-based examples. Okay, so the first result that I bring back here from New York City is actually an industrial control system, as you can see. It is from New York, and it's part of a freezer or coolant system based off of the host name. So it's probably not gonna be a world ender, but it does tell you that the has some kind of a cooling system or freezer system, uh, internet accessible, and uh, this is a SCADA-controlled system. So, so assumably, I could I could hack and fridge. <laughs> yes, okay? yes, absolutely. If you, I, I if think you I'm get... still sleeping easy in my hotel room. Tonight. I, still feel, I feel that that you know, life is still life is still okay. Yes, absolutely. Well, the, the fridge may be part of their uh, I don't know their their nuclear test system research laboratory too. I don't know. <laughs> sure. All right. So let's take this example a little bit further. And this shows you kind of the power of using Shodan to actually get to the devices themselves. We can see that we can actually directly access it from Shodan. So you see when I search for the device, and I won't name the actual scan because this hasn't been reported yet, but we can find the device and we can go directly to the login page. And you can see that this is fully unauthenticated. It has uh, the ability to change the username and password right here from the security setup. We can do administration, including the system logs and device logs. And uh, this is just one of thousands of devices worldwide that we can access without any kind of uh, authentication at all. What are we looking at? This is so you've using this Google for internet connected devices. You've somehow done a search. It feels like we, we've, we've gone somewhere that we shouldn't be on the internet. We, we would not want to take it any further, certainly, at this yeah. point. In fact, we can even reboot the device right now if we wanted to. Again, maybe not a meltdown scenario. We're not going to do one of those where uh, you know we try to log into a nuclear uh, power plant. But many of the types of infrastructure that we've observed today are just representative of the types of things that you can find on the internet. If I'm connecting the dots here, without much effort, certainly not without much effort on my part, you are able to find internet-connected devices all with SCADA systems connected to the internet. With more digging, one could assume that given that major power systems and transportation systems also run on SCADA, it wouldn't be that far-fetched to imagine if we kept up this this kind of searching, we would eventually come across one of those. Is that, am I 
far off on that? Definitely not a stretch to say that this is indicative of one of the ways that researchers and attackers might use uh, public tools out there to map out and identify systems to take down just like your uh, your movie example here. <sighs> All right. My mind is swimming. All right. Now this is this is a lot to take in. I'm not going to sleep very well tonight because I feel unsettled. It feels to me having you take me through this it suddenly feels very very real and that these very vulnerable systems are everywhere. Absolutely. Thank you so much for this. You've you've filled my brain and I think I now understand these systems a little bit more. And hopefully, you know, people listening to this will understand these systems a little bit more. And it feels to me that we haven't heard the last of these kinds of things. Pleasure. And thank you very much for the opportunity to talk about this. So I'm back with Bruce Snell, cybersecurity expert. So I'm scared, but I feel at least I know what to be scared of. It no longer seems abstract, sure. even if it seems terrifying, because I know that, you know, not all that far <laughs> from where I'm recording this, there are some very vulnerable things around me. What, right. so as, as, as a bigger consumer society, what could we do to make sure that our systems stay safe? Well, you know, it's actually, I do have some good news on, on this front. Part of my, my day job, you know, when, I, when I'm not being a, an award-winning <laughs> part of an award-winning podcast here. Yes. You know, I've actually been working with a number of companies in the, you know, the the oil and gas industry, uh, as well as, as manufacturing industry. And all of them are very aware of this issue and are taking a lot of steps to actually correct and, and put in more security uh, so that they can can help stay safe. Right. So okay. it's one of those things where, you know, from an, an average consumer perspective, I don't know that there's much to, to be done. Um, I think it's good that you know that the problem exists, right? And that you know that there are, you know, there are issues that definitely need to be taken into care of. But I think I, there is there is a silver lining or a, a little glimmer of hope in that the the industry is well aware of this. There are there are steps that are definitely being taken to to uh, protect the this critical infrastructure that's so important. Okay. Well, as long as as long as it's, it sounds like there's some grownups out there <laughs> that are looking into this and trying to figure out. We're, we're taking care to, of it. Yeah, you're taking care of it. <laughs> I appreciate as, as as a child of the of the world, uh, a middle aged child, but still a child of the world. Uh, I appreciate this, and, uh, and I appreciate your time, Bruce. Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you. I'm Jeff Siskin, and you're listening to Hackable, an original podcast from McAfee. If your mind has been intrigued by anything we've talked about on today's show and you want to find out more information about all things SCADA, head on over to our website, hackablepodcast.com, where we'll throw up some links to some more information about SCADA. And as well, it's it's just really pretty, so you should just check it out, hackablepodcast.com. And if you like the show and you feel inspired enough to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, we would totally appreciate it. It really helps people find the show. And as well, just kind of warms our heart to hear what people think of what we're doing. Thanks so much for listening. Next episode in two weeks.